Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello everybody and welcome to the fourth series of The Human Podcast, a place to hear extraordinary human stories that celebrate the limitless potential of human beings. So often, our personal stories of tragedy and survival are left untold, hidden behind the facade of our ordinary lives. Human has been created to make them more seen, more heard and more celebrated. Because by doing so, I think we can all feel more connected to our shared humanity. So if the world is feeling like a dark or difficult place, join us and let your heart be ignited by the fire of the human spirit. Now, the person we have in front of us today doesn't really need much introduction from me, but here goes. Lauren Mahon is a broadcaster, a campaigner and co-founder of the groundbreaking and multi-award winning BBC Five live podcast, You, Me and the Big C. Lauren is founder of the charity Girl vs Cancer and she is a tireless campaigner for cancer awareness to the extent that which she was recently awarded an honorary doctorate in medical science by the Institute of Cancer Research London as a prestigious recognition of the impact of her broadcasting, campaigning and activism to date. Now, I met Lauren for the first time a couple of years ago when I was invited to come on the podcast. And the time that I had with her and her sensational co-host of Yumi Big C, Deborah James, had such a huge effect on me. Um, As many of you listening will know, they co-founded the podcast, each of them as people with very different but life-changing personal journeys with cancer. But their mix of just potent emotional intelligence, radical openness and vulnerability, combined with this just hilarious quick-fire banter and a very refreshing irreverence about this thing that they all refused would define them was just such a gift to be in the presence of and you know particularly as someone at the time who was still very raw and coming to terms with the death of my mum who'd recently died from cancer and seeing them I just thought you know what this can be done differently I can live alongside this differently and it was a massive source of inspiration for me and I know that it's been a source of inspiration to literally millions and millions of people all over the country who have listened to their podcast every week for the last few years so 
I know you will all feel as honoured as I do to be in the company of such podcasting royalty. But Lauren, darling, I just wanted to welcome you. Thank you so much for making the time. You are one of the busiest people on the planet. Um, And so I just wanted just to say, before we get into it, thank you. And just to ask how you are today, my love. Oh, I want to say thank you. That's so, can you, like, if I ever get married, will you talk at my wedding? Ah. That was, like, really nice. <laughs> Done deal. I got all Done deal. Eyed. I'm like, I'm going to marry Jess. <laughs> I do. No I me. do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, no, honestly, that was such a lovely intro. And honestly, mate, like, the feeling is mutual. You know how much I adored your mother and, like, then getting to meet you and um, have you on the pod was such an honour and such a lovely conversation. I think we just all hit it off right away. It was like that thing, isn't it? When you meet someone, it's like a soul knowledge connection. You're like, we're like, I see you, little twin flames. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, so today you're finding me just coming off of a Peloton. Um, So I'm full of endorphins, so full of beans. You're going to get me a very hyperactive Lauren today. (laughs) If you hear any crunching noises it isn't me um it's my fluffy little son Raymond he's on the floor next to me with his chew um he doesn't he doesn't do discreet welcome, my boy Raymond. So, um, welcome to the human yeah. podcast Raymond we want to hear from he you later got, as well he actually got spotted did like, he I was escalated with him Jess <laughs> and this woman went past on the other side of the she went Raymond <laughs> I'll follow you and I was like oh hello <laughs> oh brilliant um oh so Lauren so one thing that is certain about you, Lauren, is that you have this really, this relentless fire and pursuit of your campaigning and activism. And I wondered if that is partly because the, you know, the personal and the professional for your work are so mm. intertwined. Absolutely, I think it is. And I think, do you know what, like, I'll be totally honest, like, I've always been a bit of a gobby, angry little human. I think it's short woman syndrome. I've just got this fire in me that I'm like... I, I'm like, nah, like I was always the person, like I'd always get told off by my family and friends because if I saw someone having a fight in the street or someone doing something to someone else, I would be the first person to go, no, mm. what are you doing? And they're like, Lauren, you're the size of a small child. You need to stop putting yourselves in these dangerous situations. But it's just a very natural thing to me to go, no, that's not okay. Mm. And so when I got sick and I just felt really exasperated with what I was experiencing, it's that whole thing, isn't it? Like, I remember saying to my mum the day after I was diagnosed, why me? And she said, why not you? And it really changed the way I thought about what I was going through because she said, why would anyone else be more deserving of something? You know, like you, this has happened, this is life, you get on with it. My mum's a cancer survivor, do you know what I mean? So she's got that grit in her as well. And so I was just like, oh, okay. But then it also almost like flipped. Um, and it's like, well, I don't think this is right in the cancer world. I think that more needs to be done. It's not good enough. And because it's my nature anyway, not to just sit on my laurels or sit on my hands and go, oh, that's rubbish and carry on with my day. Um, it was like, well, if someone's going to do it, why couldn't it be me? Why couldn't I lend my voice to this conversation? Not because I think I'm any more educated or well-equipped to do it than somebody else. It just felt the most natural thing in the world for me to go, nah, mm. listen up. And and here we are as a result. And I'm just very, very... I'm glad that I've been able to put my gobby nature into something positive. Mm. Um, it does land me in hot water sometimes because I'm not the very best at filtering what comes out of my mouth. But um, I'm, I'm glad that I've been able to use my strength, which is communication, mm. I guess, 
to hopefully better experiences of other people. Mm. I mean, definitely. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that like you're, you know, you telling your story, like with the radical openness and honesty and, and the vulnerability often that you do has it is your tool for activism, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It yeah. is so, it's, it, it's a nice feeling because it doesn't feel, it's just, it feels very natural to me to just open my mouth and just say what I think because I never, it's that thing as well, isn't it? It's almost a bit of validation. I won't lie in that. Like it's a bit of ego in opening your mouth and have people agree with you. Mm. I mean, it's probably why Piers Morgan's been getting away with it for so long. But <laughs> you literally, like for me, it's like, as soon as I start saying, hang on, this isn't right, and you and you hear people go, no, you're right as well, it fuels mm. the fire because you're like, okay, people can relate to what I'm saying. That means I'm on the right track. Mm. I think if I was, if I, if we were talking about our experiences and, and people were like, this is too much, we're not interested, you know, it would be a very different story. But the minute we opened our mouths, I was like, here we are. This is cancer looks like for us. Because I don't pretend that my cancer experience, Deb's, Rachel's, is the same as anybody else's. Everyone's is so unique. Mm. But I think just opening the conversation around it is a really powerful tool mm. because it's it was even six years ago, the leaps and bounds we've come on and talking about the disease. Mm. It's immense. Mm. It is immense. Mm. So what what was it? How did you how did you and Rachel and Debs find each other back in the day then? What was the thing? It was Instagram. Right. It was social media. So I obviously I was very much embedded in the breast cancer side of Instagram. Um, there wasn't that many of us at the start. Um, I literally put my hand up. I went, hi, I've got breast cancer. Um, and I won't say I broke the internet like Kim Kardashian did, but it was that moment of where my immediate community of like bloggers, influencers, brands, the world that I had in work and friendship groups all kind of went, oh my God, because it was shocking. I was 31 years old. I'm someone who, you know, is full of beans, is a go-getter, goes out in life, does things. I don't say I live a massively unhealthy lifestyle. I did party really heavily, Mm. but I also did do a lot of exercise and like do loads of things as well. So um, you know, for them, it was like they saw themselves in me and they were like, oh my God, Lauren's got breast cancer. And also I had barely any chest. So I was like, I don't understand. Mm. This doesn't happen to young people. Um, and so when I started talking about, you know, immediately I was like, I started sharing because I, I wanted to, it was a control thing. I know it's a trauma response and I know it's control now. Um, cause I didn't want anyone else to feel pity for me. And I also wanted to kind of control the narrative around my own disease and that's exactly what Deborah's doing. That's exactly what Rachel was doing. And I, I mm. connected with Rachel on social media. I think I did a shout out. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm looking for people to write for my website because I wanted it to be a community space where we could all share our experiences and offer support to other people. And she wrote a piece for me. And it was only because of Rachel that she then said, you know, she came up and said, oh, I've got this idea for a podcast. And I said, that's brilliant. I was like, who else are you thinking? And she said, oh, have you heard about babe? I was like, no, because it wasn't, you know, as well, Deb and, Deb and Rachel connected on that motherhood level as well, whereas mm. I wasn't really in that mum cancer world at mm. all. Still not really. Mm. Um, I was kind of more relating to the women like me, you know, my life stage and what I was going through. Mm. So the minute I saw Deb, I was like, this woman is crackers. I love her. Um, <laughs> she nuts, absolutely nuts. And um, yeah, and that, and that was it kind of really... Um, Rachel went off and did all the pitching, did a Captain Rachel, went off and got the job done and then wangled me in and Deb into it. And me and Deb met for the first time on the train to Manchester. And by the time we got off, we were mates. And then the first time we all met was when we all got in that studio behind the mic. And it's mad because I now know that that doesn't happen. I thought we'd never done that before. So I didn't know. 
but apparently that's very special. I listened back to the first episode that you guys mm. ever did and it's just absolutely fucking hilarious. It's just like the level of chemistry between the three of you as well. It's just like particularly the way girls are when they get together with girls which they've sort of like falling mm. in love with straight away or just like... Mm. It's just like, it's just so That brilliant. was the energy yeah. we were bringing, weren't it? <laughs> and it's that whole thing as well. It's like, it's the same. It's exactly that. It's like, it's like being in the toilet yeah. of a nightclub <laughs> and someone going, oh my God, my boyfriend, ex-boyfriend's out there. And you're all like, listen, babe, you don't need to say that from him. Da-da-da. It was like that, but with cancer. <laughs> Absolutely. Amazing. Uh, it was just, but yeah, it's amazing. And like. I am so, I just don't think, and I still can't get my head around the impact it's had because for us, it was just us in a room having a chat mm. and we hoped people would listen and we hoped it would help people. But my God, like the extent of it, mm. I don't think we could, any of us could have really hoped or wished or planned for at all. Well, I think what you just did so naturally, but also, you know, through the way that the show was curated and the way that you would, you know, mm. look at very specific, really like importantly curated topics every single week meant that you know all you were all speak you were speaking to the the whole spectrums of people's experiences you know and the reality is that you know one in two people get cancer in their lifetimes Mm -hmm. you know and so you know I don't think any of us know a single person whether it be in our immediate lives or in our broader lives who hasn't been affected by cancer so that podcast was for everybody do you know what I mean yeah for everyone yeah and that's the thing as well because you know I mean, it's also like that ripple effect. You know, a pebble gets dropped in your life. You're the pebble. And when it goes boof, the rings, it hits everybody. So, mm. you know, firstly, it's going to hit your, like, closest friends, your family, your children, whatever, the hardest. Then it's, like, colleagues, really close friends. And it filters out. And I think what I... I don't think what any of us really anticipated was the way it would impact the ripples. Yeah. So, like, how it would impact medical teams, how it would impact friends and family. Because for the first time, I think ever people able to listen in and understand it from the cancer patient's point of view and take so many learnings and I just love the fact that there's probably so many people out there getting the right support from the people around them because they don't even have to like learn from them they don't have to ask the questions they could come to us mm-hmm. do you know what I mean and that's such really? a that isn't like a burden then on the people that are going through it because they're going through enough um so yeah that's um that was a really powerful part of everything that we've done that I just can't yeah I'm just I love that I love that it's helping the wider circle as well mm. you know Lauren you said something a minute ago that I thought was really interesting that I've never heard expressed quite in this way but you said that you know sharing is a trauma response mm. and um I wonder if you could just sort of yeah talk to us about that a little bit more because you know what what I mean one of the amazing things about social media these days mm. is how you know it can be such a tool for feeling a sense of like even virtual community for something yeah, yeah. that you're going through but I, I I never thought of it as being a a consequence of a part of a trauma response I've mm. always thought of it more as being a way of people trying to find feel less alone or to find community mm. but that was a really interesting 
insight. Can you just talk to us a little bit more about that from your perspective? Yeah, definitely. I think definitely there is an element of wanting to find people. But also, I think when you're going through something that traumatic, that internalised trauma, you, you get it out somehow. Yeah. And you do find that a lot of people in like, obviously, I've done a lot of therapy now. And I've like, my mental health has always been coloured even before I had um, cancer. And I've always been someone who overshares when I'm going through something but I know now that is a trauma response because what I'm doing is I'm looking for someone for reassurance yeah for validation and 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 just to kind of, and also it's a catharsis thing like you need your it's like this physical thing of getting it out of your body because mm. trauma sits doesn't it yeah and if you're going over and over and over your own head all of these things in your head and all of these ideas and thoughts and very powerful emotions that's going to eat you up. That's why I feel like, you know, and that's not for everybody. And I understand that like some, so many people I know are so private about their cancer experience. And, you know, I've said this a million times, there's no right or wrong way to do cancer. You've got to do you, mm. how it's most natural and best for you. For me, it is literally like projectile. This is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling today. You know, I'm like it on social media. I'm like, I'm a very open book, but I'm like that anyway. My worry is, you know, now there's this, because I am seeing this change, Jess, where I think the community online is an incredible thing. And I'm so glad that we have been part of the beginning of that because we weren't the only ones doing yeah, yeah, it. There's yeah. loads of people out there who did it before us and did it after us and do it better than we did as well. But my worry now is everyone, a lot of people who are that way inclined now are taken to Instagram and all the handles are like, cancer so-and-so and cancer this versus cancer blah 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 fine it makes it easier to be identified as a cancer patient and find your community i understand that but what i'm worried about now is there are so many people that are living long long term with and beyond in survival and they are now defined by that name yeah that instagram the community they've created there so i'm always very mindful like i'm glad that we've got a podcast so there's anyone who kind of wants to step back from that or you know can kind of dabble in it but then go to other sources I'm glad that we've created something that isn't anyone anything anyone needs to be defined by does that make any sense yeah, 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 because I'm hoping girl vs cancer can become a place where people can come and share and have evergreen content and people can you know visit but then feel like they can just leave it at the door and walk away yeah they don't have to be defined by their cancer because yeah, yeah. Sometimes I've found that, like, trying to get out of being cancer girl, mate, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what you're known as, you know? One, one of the things that you've spoken a lot about, Lauren, as well, which I think is really important and, you know, is the stuff around, you know, how the long-term effects of um, treatments for lots of patients, even once you are, you know, deemed as being in remission, um, can be completely life-altering as well. And this is something mm -hmm. that, you know often and I, and I see this as well a lot with patients that we work with through the Tessagel Foundation and all the rest of it that yeah, there's mm. lots of talk about you know um you know how you feel when you're when you're going through treatment but people don't really talk mm. about the legacy of how that affects you again and how you know the long-term impacts of that and mm. you know you've 
spoken so amazingly about you know for so many breast cancer patients for example people don't really know that for lots of breast cancer patients the treatment they have can mean them going through a medically induced menopause which means mm-hmm. you, you may survive but at the cost of many many other things in your life that you're then exposed to kind of almost like secondary losses for that you know people mm-hmm. don't talk about enough and it's yeah I wonder if you could just sort of in terms of your community and stuff like that you know is that something you think is yeah it's really important to keep talking about that we also as well we talk about primary cancer as if it's the only cancer and secondary cancer you know it is something that needs more attention so you've got a lot of people who one are dealing with the long-term effects of ongoing preventative treatments when they're out the other side and their cancer is curative and they think you know they're going to be fine but then you also have people who are living long-term ongoing treatments that are harsh on the body mm. and it's the same with Deb like bless her towards the end it was like death becomes her pieces were falling off of her but it wasn't the cancer that cu- that that ended Deb's life it was her body her body couldn't take the drugs anymore so and that's and that's the thing what people think when people think about cancer and that's why we always say like the battle of cancer isn't in our bodies the battle of cancer is in the labs that's yeah. why we don't like the fight dialogue, you know? Yeah. No one loses a battle with cancer. That's why all these new developments in science are amazing, the immunotherapies and stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, all cancer is, for anyone who's listening who's not really even sure, is cancer is your own cells mutating past a point that is normal and your body not recognising it as a danger, so it doesn't attack it. So we could produce cancer in our body every day and our body goes boom, 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 annihilates it. But sometimes it gets through. And so, like, all these therapies and all these new things, there's loads of stuff around genomics. Deb buzzed about the science of it all. It's much more clever. But also, as with any medicines, it takes years and years to get to the point of actual patient. And then to the NHS, even. You know, for those people that are living with the disease long term, we need the better treatment. Stage four needs so much more because we need to make sure we're prolonging life. And, yes, it's great to have a few years, but we should be able to give people decades it's like someone being on with diabetes or something like that we need to get to that point yeah where we can just like give them their injections or give them this constant medication that keeps people well and a life for longer yeah it's something they live alongside but it's not something that means okay you're gonna be in these really toxic drugs for years and that's gonna be the thing that gets you yeah it's not fair um but in terms of like you know, that's for the stage four, is that's for people that are living long term with, with the disease and the toxicities. And then, again, for those who do come out the other end of their diagnosis and are living beyond the disease, you're looking at, again, the long term effects of the drugs that you had. Mm. I mean, I know this sounds very frivolous and I am being like silly because obviously it's sometimes worse, but my eyebrows are still so patchy. They never grew back <laughs> right. Um, and I'm always looking, I'm like, damn you, cancer. <laughs> damn it. Um, and I've got a really lovely big square tan line across my my bad boob from radiotherapy. So whenever I go like on mm. holiday in that, there's this big darker patch. People are like, what's that? I'm like, radiotherapy. Mm. Um, but that's like, that's like not vanity things because it is what it is. But like you can, they're things you can see. But then it's things like your bones. Fertility is such a massive thing. Mm. And I really don't think it's expressed enough to the young patients that go through treatment. Yeah. This, the scale of the impact. Because again, it's this thing of we just need to get you into treatment. But it's like, well, if you're trying to give me treatment to to save or extend my life but you do think I'll be well enough to go on to have kids just give me a minute yeah no do you know what I mean like and and to really understand what that looks like um 
I, the thing is, I only tell you what you need to know as you need to know it, which I get because it's overwhelming. But at the same time, I come out the other end of it and going, oh my Lord, like there is so much mm. to take on. I, I'm on I'm on drugs now, I've been on for five years, I'll be on them for another five. They are hormone blockers. So what they do is they prevent certain cells in my body from um, the hormone getting to them. So like my vagina, my womb, my breasts. So it's more the reproductive organs. Um, so it means I don't bleed. Um, and obviously I can't get pregnant or anything while someone, well, you can, but you've got to be very careful because yeah, it's yeah. bad if you got pregnant. Yeah. Um, but again, that has long-term side effects because it's estrogen levels in the body. So what's that going to do to the heart? What's that going to do to the to your joints? What's all that kind of stuff? Um, you have people that, you know, if they've got neuropathy and pain and sensitivity in their hands and feet, that never comes back. Some people's skin never goes the same. Mm. You're talking about scarring. There's all these, and also like, Freely and truly, the mental scarring of a cancer diagnosis. I think so many people who, as we call the cancer muggles, who've never been anywhere near cancer or haven't been that up close and personal to it, they see cancer and like, oh, you're better now. And I don't think anyone who isn't around it understands. And that's why I talk so openly about this aftermath is when you are diagnosed with cancer and i'm pretty sure any kind of chronic illness it dehumanizes you it literally your body becomes separate from who you are you're put on this conveyor belt and you're you're cog in a wheel you're they're putting parts on you they're changing this it's like a mechanics you're just going through the process and then what happens is hopefully you come off the end of that conveyor belt that factory belt right but then where do you go mm. who catches you yeah so you've literally been pulled and prodded and poked and completely dehumanized and then it's like almost like you have to attach your soul back to this body that is so traumatized. And it's like, how does it fit? Mm. Like, how does it work? And genuinely, the mental weight of a cancer diagnosis, some people are very, very good at going compartmentalized. My mum's one of them. Compartmentalized down, I'm off. I know that will probably have its own issues by dealing with things that way, but I'm not that person. And so it just felt very, it's like, how can I have nearly been that close to my death and then all of a sudden you know now I'm just like oh life's here you go get on with life I, I'm literally looking over my shoulder every two minutes like is it back what do you yeah. mean you're going to check me every month yeah. what do you mean how do I know this pain isn't a isn't isn't something more serious or sinister and I always compare it to like a plane crash like if someone had a plane crash was in a plane crash or a really severe car accident right you wouldn't just tell them to get on with it. You wouldn't say, why are you still talking about it? Things like that. You would see that as a very severe post-traumatic stress situation, mm. right? But because one in two people go through cancer, not one in two people go through a massive car accident, I think we just kind of like, get on with it. Mm. And I do understand it gets to a certain point where you're like, right, you've got to start putting your life together. Mm. But there's no right or wrong way to piece back, like, some, some a part of you that's that broken. Like, I don't think anyone who's been through a cancer diagnosis will ever, you know, go back to normal, as we say, this new normal, because there isn't one. You can't tread that final line to your own mortality and then pop out the other end and feel nothing. How? How do you do it? Mm. You can't. So, you know, for a lot of people, yeah, they may not be telling everybody about their cancer diagnosis. They may have done everything in private, but on a very human level, they're changed forever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, Lauren. Sorry, I went on a bit of a rant. No, no, no. It's you're, it's just right to the heart of the right to the heart of the issue, and it's like it's like some of the 
to be honest, it's a big part of the reason that I wanted to start this podcast in the first place, to sort of be able to lean in to these big human experiences that so often just get normalised under the kind of banner of, oh, that's just ordinary life. But no, these these taskers with having to do some of the biggest, most painful, most difficult work of living, and <clears throat> and we need to be able to lean into it and talk to it and, and and give it language because just because it may be common or does not mean that it's not extraordinary when it happens to you, and it's actually yeah. extraordinary that we get through it. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, oh mate, it just how needs so much more language. We yeah. are, but I also think there's a difference, and I'm sure you will have something to say about this, that, you know, just because human beings have the most incredible ability to endure suffering and to endure hardship and to survive, you know, it doesn't mean that we're not, you know, changed and traumatised on the inside and then really need lots of help to metabolize and process that and you know just being standing at the end of a massive traumatic experience isn't should not be a measure of whether you are okay or not do you know what I mean no. yeah no and I also feel like just because we can with withstand and we endure something doesn't mean we should be pushed to the limits of that absolutely there should be more support absolutely you know just because the body can take chemo doesn't mean we should be just going, okay, that's fine. We should be fine in kinder ways. Yeah. Just because people, you know, can lose people that they love so dearly that it's earth shattering. It doesn't just mean, oh, it's natural thing in life, you lose your parents. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do when that happens with mum and dad. So I just don't think about it until I, like, you know, just I have the big conversations, but it's like, I know that will be another point in my life that just completely throws another whole load of healing into the mix that I'm going to need to do. Mm. You know, it, it's, I feel like what I've learned when it comes to this and, and as a human, what you can endure, because you often hear as well, and I'm sure you've had it, you look at someone at some parts of life who've never even had a tooth out, you know, they've never been through anything. And then you get somebody else who's like literally been through the ringer, like physical abuse, lost family members, tragic things that have happened in their life. And you think, oh my God, like how can one person endure that much? And yes, it is life. And yes, we are as humans, built for survival. But I think we've got to get a lot better at looking after each other. And also, I really bloody hate this commercialization of, like, well-being and healing. Mm. Like, I love that the conversation's out there, but I'm telling you now, man, no amount of bubble baths and candles are going to fix this trauma. It's a nice tool to have if you need to just set the scene for yourself to mm. get out of your head. But my God, no, it's an actual physical lifestyle shift, a change. You know, like when people say to me, you know, for you, what is self-care? I'm like saying no, creating space, like literally pushing the whole world away and going, right, what do I need today? And nine times out of ten, mate, that's probably not going to be an expensive candle. It's probably <laughs> going to be getting on the train across London to my parents or, you know, going, do you know what I do need out of London? I might go to the caravan for a couple of days. Or do you know what? Actually, I've got too much on with work. I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I'm struggling. Let me see what I can move back. I'm just gonna have a couple of days at home, mm. see what I need to do. And that, and then that might be a bubble bath. It might be getting on my pellet and having a cycle. It might be cuddling Raymond on the sofa and watching Sex in the City again. Mm. But I think creating the space for yourself to understand what you need 
is the most important thing. I think throwing a load of money at it is not going to fix anything. And I don't like this idea that you can somehow buy your way better. Mm. I really don't like it. Mm. It's not it's not true. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, God, there's so much that I want to pick up on. And it's about a million different things that you've just said that um, I really want to like go into. But one of the things that you just said, Lauren, was around. So it's about how, I guess, as a society, like we we just don't really create enough space and validation, you know, culturally to have the conversations about the big, dark, difficult things that we go through that are too often just you know, washed over or just left in the shadows. And it means that when you come up against these very, very big, painful, but actually very, very shared human experiences, you often feel like you're in a landscape which is completely pathless, like nobody has been there before. But actually, it is, you know, somewhere that loads of people, the thing that loads of people experienced before, but because we don't talk about it, um, you know, it can feel very, very, like you're just in a kind of uncharted territory and I found um so there's something I saw you post up on your social media a few months ago and it was just after Debs had died and you were talking about your nephew and he had written you a card saying um I'm so sorry that Deb died and you said something which really struck me because actually it was quite um it really spoke to to be honest how I've dealt with with death in the last few years of my life you said you know if my my nephew can say it then why can't everybody else say it you know Deb didn't pass away she didn't you know she died let's just say it you know let's say and I and I remember so what made me think of this is when you were just talking about you know the you know thinking about the prospect of your mum and dad dying at some point and how that's really hard to sort of get your your head to even look at but I remember when my mum was ill and I think probably the whole way through my life if and, and even when she was ill the thought from when you know from when you're like a little kid it's like 
oh, oh my God, if my mum died, I don't know what I would do kind of thing. And I think I always had that feeling till literally till the day that she she died. But it was like the concept of death, because death was so unspoken about in to me. It was like it was like other the concept of death for me was so other that I realised like until the moment that my mum died, just the thought of death used to just, it used to come in my into my brain, then it used to kind of go like bang at the back of my eyelids and I used to go no and my brain just to sort of flinch away from it. And I think, you know, had, had I don't know, there'd just been a bit more, I don't know, just people or just some narrative which just, like encouraged and sort of gave you confidence to talk about death for what it is to to say the to, to say dead not passed away you know and I remember you guys saying this and I always just say oh my mum passed away because I know it was part of my coping tool for be like it, it wasn't just the end she's gone on somewhere else but no it's actually really healthy to say babe I dead do it and to say I do died it. and do you know what I mean? It's just like... I do. I, but I still even do it. Like, there's times when I talk about Deb now because it's so recent. I still say when we lost Deb. And I'm like, she's not a fucking sock. She died. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, I have to keep... But, but it is. It's a, it's a buffer. Yeah, because it I is a buffer. It's a, a psychological... It's a coping tool, I think it is. Yeah. It is. It is. And I don't blame anybody. Like, I, I would never be like, don't say that to anyone. I wouldn't tell anybody off. But I think what we do need to as a society is readdress how we look at death. I think we have, you know, go to some countries and it's a celebratory thing. You know, my friend Saima, when when she died in the pandemic, a very, very dear friend of mine, like soulmate kind of friend oh, darling, met through sorry. cancer. But like, yeah. babe, it's it's horrible. But like she she always called me a starseed. That's why all my like businesses are called We Are Starseed. Because oh. then I feel like she's with me. Um, but yeah, she she all when she was dying, like her death was so profound to me mm. because of the way she was dealing with it. Like, when I spoke to her two weeks before she died, I was talking about the process. Like, she'd said to us right at the start of the lockdown, we were having a Zoom, us and all, like, our, our buds, and she was like, I don't think I'm going to make it out of lockdown. And we were like, no, no, no. And that's one thing that I struggled with the pandemic is that we we did lose a lot of time with people that we should have, Deb included. Like, I didn't get nearly enough time with Deb in the last two years. Um, But with... Sorry, she was like, no, she knew, she knew her body, she knew herself, and she was in herself. And like, we went to the style, I took her to the stylist um, live thing with me when I did a talk, and you know, she was there, she's such a presence. And she was saying, the big thing I'm learning is surrender. And I was like, talk to me. And she said, I don't want to fight this, it's coming. She went, I want to be present in every last bit of it. I want to mm. feel what this is to die. I want to feel those emotions. I want to be there. I want to be part of it. And I just, it, it has completely changed my outlook because I think mm. we're so afraid of the end of our lives mm. and living in fear that we're not living in the now. We're not living with integrity and we're not living with love and kindness. We're living in fear and this lack mindset mm. around life. Yeah. And actually, like, you enter into this world as a ball of cells with no real connections or memories or ties to anything or anybody. You leave this world with infinite love memories connections like things that have formed your life that you've the mark you've made on this world so that needs to be honored really does and it really needs to be planned for and protected and spoken about because that person when they leave they're gone they're at peace man they're not sitting there going or whatever I mean we don't know about afterlife but I for me to be able to cope I just feel, feel like when we're gone we're gone I believe in the soul and the spirit and I like to think we're somewhere because how can someone with such a big presence not exist that mm. energy goes somewhere and I don't know where yeah but 
I do have this real issue that we live for this afterlife. And I think, why don't we just live for this life that we're in? Mm. And that, to me, is should be the thing. Totally. Do you know what I mean? I do. No, I, like, I heard there was a, a, a quote from you, Lauren, which is, um, you said, oh. I knew I was capable, but I wasn't confident. And then the cancer diagnosis happened. And I thought, fuck this. I've got to start living and doing the things I want. Life isn't an audition. And the, fero- the, the ferocity with which I went at things after cancer was huge. Yeah. And so, I mean, in it's some true. in some ways it's your... It's, your, it's not just witnessing the experience of your like incredible friends mm. but I just wanted to mirror back mm. to you that that is also yeah. something which you have totally embodied yourself yeah and it's finding a balance I guess like I've made myself so ill and burnt out multiple times over the last five years because of the ferocity which I throw myself at things because mm. I'm so aware of how tomorrow isn't promised. So I don't want to keep putting things off till tomorrow. I feel like I'm sitting idle, but actually what I've had to learn is there's balance. Mm. And like the little voice in my head that was like, well, if you don't get it done, what if the cancer comes back and then you'll never do it? And then I'm like, well, then it comes back and I never do it. I can't, Mm. (laughs) I'm making myself knackered. Mm. I can't. Mm. But it just means that when it comes to my life, rather than just meandering or floating around in it, I do live a life with very real purpose. I'm not someone who just sits there and goes, oh, let's see what happens. I'll always make little steps and inroads to things that I, that make me happy. Deb said it. She said, do something every single day that makes you happy. And I've taken that on board since her death. Like, it really hit home. I was like, every day, do something that makes you happy. I did a post about it with the dog. I walk around the house and he'll just be laying there. And I know I've got loads of work to do, but I'm like... I'm going to lay with half an hour and cuddle you mm. and sniff your little ears and snuggle <laughs> right up. It makes me so happy. And it's like, what's the worst that's going to happen? An email don't get answered for another half an hour. Mm. Not the end of the world. And it's just really, like, kind of switched that for me as well. And it's allowed me to be a lot more present in my life day to day rather than chasing my tail and living a very full life and not being present in it at all. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because that was how it was for a while. But... um. Yeah, it, it does do, again, it's trauma. I think being so aware of your own mortality just makes you live big. It, mm. it does for me anyway, because mm. it's only one shot, isn't it, really? I don't want, I want to go out knowing, like, with a big smile on my face. Like, Deb said it to her mum and that, and I'm bringing up Deb a lot now because I realise I've not spoken about her for a few weeks because I think it's too tough, isn't it? But I know she was saying to her mum and everything from conversations I've had with the family that she's like, I've got no regrets, you know? She's like, I've had a really lovely life. Isn't that how we all should be at the end? That's great. Like, I'm like, yes, good woman. I'm glad. Really glad she had. She said that. Although they should have a few questionable fashion choices, but we won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Lauren? I mean, Deb was... I mean, do you mind if we talk about... No, please do. I, I, obviously, I, she keeps coming up, so there's obviously a need in me at the minute to talk yeah. about it, but yeah. Well, listen, we, yeah. we don't, well, I just was going to say that, you know, just to carry on from what you were saying, you know, I, I didn't know Deb's well, well at all, but, you know, I was lucky enough to have spent, you know, have a few occasions where we hung out over the last few years. And of course she was on the podcast last year. And, you know, what I saw in Deb was, was really what I saw with my mum in those last few months of her life, that she, she died as she lived, full of purpose. Yeah full of purpose, fucking fearless. Do you know what I mean? Just like looking it in the eye, even when she was fucking scared. And just, as you say, just this like, I think one of the most, the bravest things I've ever seen in a human being 
was what I saw in my mum in those last three months. And then what I saw in Debs this summer, which is just the courage mm. to surrender, to surrender and to let it happen. And I think that is probably one of the biggest, it's the, probably the biggest moment you ever step towards in your life is the acceptance mm. of inevitable death. And of course, it is something that every single living person on this planet is going mm. to come face to face with it at some point. Mm -hmm. But it's such a fucking hell. It's such a privilege mm. to be able to witness that. And I mean, the way that Deb did it was on yeah. the national stage, you know, obviously Mate, going Will. out bells and whistles of, you know, Prince William coming round for champers in a couple of weeks before. I mean, obviously. Babe. <laughs> oh, like we, we just was all like, the thing is I kept saying is like, I'm not surprised, but I was in awe of her. And I know for a fact, Deb stayed alive as long as she did because Deb's brain is Deb's brain. Like her body, like we said, it was like death becomes, it was falling apart. But her brain was so locked on. And it's like, I've spoken with her family and stuff. And it's just having that autonomy as well. Like, as much as she surrendered, she knew it was happening. Mm. She still was had that grit in her. But she's like, she wouldn't take the really strong painkillers. She wouldn't do the thing. Because she knows the minute she started taking them, her brain would start to wind down. And that would be curtains. And that's literally what happened towards the end. Mm. She literally just was like, right, put the, I'll take the painkillers. And then literally died. Um the next day but that just for me just shows that will that strength that fire that someone who is just wanting to live so much and she's like right if I'm going down I'm going in a blaze of glory mm. and I'm going to do this with a bang mm. no one else I could even imagine it in the world and I don't think there will be anyone else for centuries mm. to die like Deborah James mm. like and what a privilege like it is for us to be able to like you say witness that but also what a privilege it is for me like as a friend to have been like just, I'm just so proud of her for how she's done everything. And I wish it wasn't... I really believe... So, you know, Deb basically nearly died in Jan. She had that big, massive yeah. medical crisis yeah. and was rushed to hospital and stuff. I truly believe that she got pulled back from Deb's door that day because she wasn't done. Like, literally, that whole of that lot... Um, the whole of the beginning of this year, Deb has been in hospital and was in the process of dying, which I think I kind of knew, but I did the same with Rachel. I just pretend... That, no, she always bounces back, so it's fine. Mm. But she was in that process from January. Her body went, I'm done, and some greater force was like, no, you're not, mate. Mm. Because if she had died in January in that sudden, tragic way, that would have been such an injustice to her yeah. and the life she's lived yeah. and all the work she's done in the last five and a half years. Yeah. I'm so glad that as much as it was tough for her physically, that she had that time to make that continued impact on the world mm. and that mark. Yeah. There is not a person, I think, on this country that doesn't know who Deborah James is. Well, she's a national, and this is a woman. She's, she's a true national treasure now. She's forever. up there with James, Dame Judy yeah. Jet, Dame yeah. for us now. And like, <laughs> you know, and this is the woman that I filmed running around a train carriage in a poo costume five years ago. And now there she is getting damehoods. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I, I just think it's brilliant. And I'm really, really proud of my friend. And it's taught me a lot about living and dying as Rachel did as well I'll be perfectly honest Rachel taught me a hell of a lot and I think rather than running away from this kind of really horrible part of the cancer experience because it is part of it there is death I'm like you said leaning into it and learning from what I can mm. because you know death isn't going anywhere and it is part of life it doesn't make it any easier but 
we can learn so much more from it if we lean in, I think. You know. Especially if we do it like Debs. You know, it's, I think it's Anthony Hopkins that says, you know, none of us are getting out of here alive. <laughs> and that's It's so true. Yeah. You know. And... It's like, yeah, there's a lot, there's a big conversation around it, Jess, that I really mm. do want to have. And that's probably for like next year's projects that I'm working on. Yeah, but I think yeah. there's a lot to be said around our conversations around death and our approach to it. Mm. Because I think it would make life a whole lot easier if we just got a bit more comfortable and yeah. accepting. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Mm. And, you know, Lauren, it's, I have to say, I watched I watched a video of you going up um, up north to go and record the episode of You Me mm. Big C um, after Deb had mm. died. And I was, I mean, I just was absolutely, I was in bits and just mm. seeing, like, the bravery with which you went up there, you know, you know, mm. for your friends, for, you know, to honour the fucking work you guys have done together over the last few years and how fucking hard that must have been for you. And it's just the most powerful fucking reminder that, you know, this podcast that you guys did together, this absolutely incredible thing that you did was not an impersonation of life. You know, it was mm. your lives and mm. you know it you know what more powerful statement can you have about the, mm. the reason why every single aspect of what you're doing is so important that two of your co-founders mm. you know yeah. are no longer it's with mad. us and you know and it also just made me feel my mm. god how lucky were we to have had this time with you all over mm. these last few years and it just made me feel like you know every episode that's there now is this amazing like precious gift that you know people can go and check in on and and it's always there as a as a testament yeah. to that do you know what I mean exactly it is and it's it's it is that mad thing. Like, I, I think someone, I said to someone before, I said the only other job you'd enter into where you think you might lose your colleagues is probably the army. Mm. Yeah. That you think that death might be the the out. the out. And I think with Deb, I just kind of got some full sense of security that she was invincible because she kind of was in so many ways. And, you know, we knew that. I mean, when we went into the podcast, that there was a risk we'd lose one of us. I didn't think I'd be the last one standing by any means. Yeah. But it... Yeah, it was it was a very tough thing to do, and I still I it's adrenaline, isn't it? I, I think you're living in a bit of a lucid space when you're yeah. grieving like that, yeah. and also as well, you know, it, we've we've shared everything, so to not do Deb's episode would be weird because it's important that we talk about what we've all gone through the last few weeks and those those last few months with Deb and give some insight yeah. into what was going on. She loved she loved it, um, but. Yeah, it's it's. I I, I'm, I think why I'm having to really take good care of myself as well at the moment is, you know, I'm grieving my friend and I miss her all the time. But I've also had to. It's a chapter of my life that these two women and let's make it right. Like this podcast has been the, a massive chain game changer for me in my world. Yeah, like what I it's it's something that I never would have imagined I'd have done, and and where it's landed me and the amazing opportunities and the platform it's given me to do the work that I do, is so special. So it's like. I'm having to really take the time to really grieve everything. Yeah, yeah. Not just, you know, so like I'm trying to like grieve my friend to take the time to do that. But then also it's this whole thing. Like I can't just turn around to them anymore. I can't just message them with this idea or a memory or, you know, knowing that we're not going to do anything like that again. And it is a, it, it, I know obviously I've got Steve and Mike and Al, but it was us three girls in that yeah. room in our stories that started it. So it's a very, 
a very surreal thing. And I don't think it's something that I'm going to be able to heal from very quickly. But I also know I'm doing the right thing yeah. in taking the time to see how it's going to be. But, like, the one thing I do know is you mean the Big C will can continue in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'll hold my hands up now. So I don't think I want to be on the in the seat anymore. I don't yeah. think I could possibly do it. Yeah. But I would love to still be involved in it. And I think it's really important. It's a public service, yeah, that podcast. It is. it is. And I think it would be an injustice to end it. Like, the, the yes, everyone has followed our stories and our journeys. But listen, me, Deb and Rach all had very different experiences of cancer. But also we experienced it. Deb was most recent and she was dealing with the day-to-day, -day, the modern medicines, the current climate, the COVID stuff. There's a whole host of people out there now dealing with cancers, brand new drugs, all these things that I would never have known about. Yeah, so yeah. I really feel that it's important we continue that conversation um, on the pod. We'll see what that looks like. Me and Steve will definitely be involved in some way, but I it needs to continue. I think it would be such a disservice to to end it now. Yeah, I, I think now more than ever, people see how important it is, you know? Yeah, what an amazing so, yeah. legacy will, as well. What an amazing yeah. fucking legacy. Mm -hmm. So, Lauren, my darling, what does mm -hmm. courage feel like? Oh, courage feels like, for me, it, I've just inhaled and exhaled because that's what it feels like. <laughs> courage is that moment of holding your breath and going get it done mm. and then the, it's the exhale afterwards go I did it <laughs> do you know what I mean I, like, I literally felt myself do it then I said courage is and I did this big <laughs> inhale because it is it's that anticipation mm. of going go 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 it's an almost an impulsivity as well mm. sometimes you just gotta you gotta charge yeah. to me courage was like just charge at charge. it just get it done <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely so, Lauren, if there's one person in the world that you'd want to be proud of you, who would that be and why? Hmm. There's so many ones I could say, like my mum and my dad, and I know they are. I know they are. I think, I think younger me. I think the 16-year-old me that was terrified of death, that was worried how life was going to pan out. Life felt, felt very overwhelming and scary. I was waiting for life to happen to me, not for me. And I'm a very, I'd love to be able to share with the life that I've got now. And she'd be so excited to be here and see how it all pans out. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'd like 16 year old me to be proud of me. I'm actually even maybe 90 year old me as well to look and go, go on, girl, well done. Yeah, that would be nice. Amazing, Amazing time. Mm. Well, listen. I could obviously stay here and talk to you all day and maybe we should pick up this I conversation know. at the pub later on after work. Mate, 100%. Well, we're not that far from each other, are we, mate? No, we don't. We're probably drinking the same local. Um, so, darling, listen, thank you so much for being here with us. I can't tell you how lucky we feel to have had this time with you. And you're just a fucking legend, Lauren. You're so amazing. Oh, mate. You're so amazing. You. So just on behalf of all of us, just thank you for everything that you do. You know, thank I you. hope you know how much it means to so, so many people, the way you turn up in your thank life every you. day, not just for yourself, but for so many other people too. Thank you. So listen, oh. um, in true human form, every episode we play out with a song. So um, if you could dedicate our conversation to a song today, what would that be? 
the first song came in, it was my way. Frank Sinatra, yeah. it was my granddad's. Oh, because it is, isn't it? So let's start the conversation. Deb did it her way. We've done the cancer thing our way. And yeah, that that's my that was my granddaddy's. So yeah. All right, Lauren. We love you, darling, so much. Thank love you. Ya. Here we have it. Right. My way by Frank Sinatra. And now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. I did it my Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to rate, review and subscribe to us on your podcast app, then please do. And you know the score. Five stars, please. If you'd like to come and say hello on Instagram, then you can find me and all things human podcast related at This Is Jess Mills. This podcast was created and hosted by me, Jess Mills, with creative co-production by Bonnie Tyburn and produced by Joel Porter at dot dot dot. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.